As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. Women have been giving birth for centuries, so it's a pretty natural experience, right? Wrong. I'm Stephanie King, professional doula, childbirth educator, and the creator of the My Essential Birth Course, the online childbirth education course that's helping women everywhere confidently achieve their best birth. Today's culture would have us think that birth should be treated like an illness or an emergency, and that most of us need other people telling us what's best for our bodies because we aren't the experts. So sit tight, because if you're tuning into this podcast, you'll probably start to believe in your body, your intuition, and find yourself empowered and confident to do what it takes to have the birth of your dreams. If you like listening to me take you through these weekly topics step-by-step, then you're going to love the My Essential Birth course. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast and definitely head over to myessentialbirth.com for the free downloads mentioned right here in these episodes and to join the birth course and community full of pregnant moms just like you. I have to add a disclaimer that I am not a medical professional and I cannot provide medical advice. All of the information expressed in this podcast are based off of personal, professional, and educational experiences and are my own opinion. Please work with a provider you trust for medical advice during your pregnancy and birth. Ladies, I think you're probably going to like this episode. (laughs) No pressure, right? Uh, I'm going to start with the provider, not the provider, with the reviewer of the week. This one's about providers, guys. It's all about red flags that your provider might not be right for you. So I'm anxious to jump into it, but let let me get started with this reviewer of the week. So the name is, this game is fun, it's just, I'm not making that up, it's just the name of it. Uh, And she says, helps me breathe easier. Found this totally by chance within the first three episodes I have purchased the course. I'm constantly listening and re-listening to episodes. A lot of times I'm like, I'm not the only one. So glad to have found this and don't have nearly as many doubts about being able to do a natural birth. I love you guys. Think you're amazing and wish you were close enough to get you all as my doula. I wish you were close enough too. That would be super fun. Um, All right. Let me jump into this. (sighs) Maybe not jump into it. Red flags, you guys. (laughs) I hope as you're listening to this that some of these responses are cringeworthy and that if you've ever had one, that all of a sudden you're going to be like, okay, now I know exactly what I need to do, and that is interview a different provider. Here's the thing. Have you interviewed your provider? Uh, Did you know that not all providers are created equally? Sometimes we choose providers based on their location, what hospital they work out of, if your insurance covers them, I might be speaking of myself here, uh, or even just randomly choosing them by name, and I am not joking. You Sometimes you just get a list of providers, and you're like, okay, yeah, that's the hospital I would like to be at, and that name sounds profesh. Let's use that one. <laughs> okay, that's a real thing. But I think what is going to be really important for you is knowing the right questions to ask so that as you get closer to birth, you can 
figure out if this provider is going to help you achieve the birth that you are envisioning. Now, I want you to pay attention to the questions that I'm asking below because as I go through this and I start asking these questions, these might not be the same questions that you would have. And so some of these answers are not going to be your red flags. In in fact, some of these answers might be just fine for you. Uh, So keep that in mind. These are not questions that I think everybody should ask. These are, if you have this question, because this is your experience that you want for your birth, is this response a red flag for you? So keep that in mind. I don't want you to feel there should be no judgment here about how you choose to give birth. Um, But I hope you're going to get the overall message, right? And the idea of how to figure out if your provider is the right one for you, if they're part of that supportive birth team, or if there's someone that you want to swap out, which is totally, totally fine for you to be able to do. Okay, so let's start with this one. I would like to have an unmedicated birth, and I don't want to get the epidural. How do you feel about that? Here's some red flag responses for you. Uh, First-time moms always end up getting the epidural. Yeah. How about we'll see how it goes? That is a more common response than you think. Um, Here's another one. A lot of moms feel that way to begin with, but they end up getting it anyway. So just plan for the epidural. Or that's fine. But let's have you sign the consent form when you get to the hospital just in case you change your mind. Do I mean, some of those are kind of that backhanded, like, it sounds supportive. Like, yeah, that's that's a great idea. That's fine. You know, I, a lot of moms feel that way. So, but uh, if you do choose to change your mind, let's just make sure that you've got that consent form signed so that we can make sure that you don't have to deal with that while you're having contractions and things. You can just get your epidural. <laughs> Okay, why are those red flags? Because none of them are super supportive in saying, here, here's a non-red flag response. It would be, yeah, that's great. However you want to give birth, right? Like common sense tells us that, that that's what that would be. But sometimes it's just the response is so maybe jarring or kind of supportive that you're like, okay. So if you, if you leave, the, if you leave your, your hospital or... Um, your appointment with your provider and you you're kind of thinking back on that conversation you're like wait did that how did that response really make me feel and it doesn't feel super good then that should tell you right that maybe that was kind of a red flag response here's another question what is your rate of cesarean births some providers really hate this question you guys and it might be because their cesarean rates are a little higher than they should be. It might be because, I don't know, maybe some prideful, whatever. I know that we had a provider on here previously, um, and we had talked to him kind of about the cesarean. It, it was Dr. Nate Fox, and I'll link to the episode. But we would talk to him about that question, you know, that cesarean question. And he's like, it's kind of tricky because it depends on which provider you're asking and how you ask that question. And so his recommendation was, for a mom like me, what is your rate of cesarean birth? In other words, if you are healthy and low risk, what's your rate of cesarean birth for other moms like me? I'm a first-time mom, healthy, low risk, under 35. What's your cesarean rate for moms like me? Um, and then, too, you know, if you're like, I have diabetes or preeclampsia or I'm over the age of 35 or whatever, you create 
that question based around you and asking him how he deals with other patients that are just like you. So here's some red flags responses. Avoiding the question, saying something like, no, that's really not an accurate measurement on if you're going to need one. (laughs) That is completely avoiding the question. (laughs) Um, How about if it's over 5 to 10 percent? Oh, here's a red flag. Sorry. If it's over 5 to 10 percent on healthy, low-risk moms. So if he if he or she, if your provider comes back to you and says, well, you're healthy, you're low risk, you know, um, but my my rates are still around 30%, which is the national average, that's a red flag response. Healthy, low risk moms should not have a cesarean rate as a national average of 30%, just so that we're clear on that one. Um, I think being willing like what's a what's not a red flag response being willing to state clearly like first of all you know your numbers right secondly they're happy to give them third if there's any explaining as to why something is the way that it is they're they're willing to go into that um, and then it should create some communication right so we don't want to come at our providers with this question of like first time you meet them what's your cesarean rate you know, with with some attitude. Uh, It should be a conversation. But as part of that conversation, this is absolutely a question that should come up. It's also something that you can call ahead of time. You don't have to ask your specific provider. uh, And you can just ask the front desk and say, I am interested in this provider. Can you tell me what their cesarean rate is? Just to get an idea before you ever go in. If you already have a provider, you know, like trust them, um, and you're just looking for a little more information, then but that's a question that you can ask probably pretty comfortably within your appointment. And if you're feeling like there's any reason that that's not comfortable because of the response that you're getting back, even the feeling on how they're responding to it, then pay attention to that, right? Because we know um, any relationship, we know when when it's comfortable, when we're being respected, when someone's being kind to us, or if there's something underlying there. And so pay attention to that. That's very real. And it's something that you're going to have to deal with the rest of this pregnancy. Every time you're talking to your provider about your pregnancy, you're going to have to feel that or, or deal with that. And particularly when we're talking about labor and birth, that is a space where you are going to be your most vulnerable that you've ever been. And so you should only have people in that space as much as possible that are going to really respect you and love on you and appreciate how you choose to go through your birth process. Okay, here's another question. What is your policy on induction if I remain healthy and low risk? Here's some red flags. I like to get an induction on the schedule at your 38-week appointment just in case we need to use it, but otherwise it shouldn't be an issue. That seems like an okay response, right? But it's not. Uh, There's no reason to plan on scheduling an induction if you don't believe that the majority of women that are healthy and low risk need one. It should never hit the books. The only time we should talk about scheduling an induction is when we reach a point that we actually medically necessarily need to do that. So this is, I'm so glad we're doing this episode, you guys. (laughs) Um, Here's another one. Most first-time moms may need help getting things going, so let's just wait and see. Wait and see seems like the safe thing to do, right? But what about that whole most first-time moms need help getting their bodies? How did people exist from the beginning of time? Did most women not go into labor and have babies? No, it's not a thing. So let's ignore that. Uh, Here's another one. Going past your due date can be dangerous 
and even cause your baby to be stillborn. Let me say that how you would hear a provider say it. So you've asked, what's your policy on induction if I remain healthy and low risk? And they come back and say, you know, going past your due date can be dangerous and it can even cause your baby to be stillborn or, or die. So it's actually really important that we talk about and plan on scheduling an induction in case you do pass that due date. As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot, totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. Okay, that's a little scary to hear as a mom, right? When we, when information like that is given to us that tells us we might be harming our baby, that death is involved, um, all of a sudden we everything goes out the door in our minds right like boom we're not the experts anymore we we don't understand what's best for for ourselves and our babies this person is clearly like they they know what they're talking about and they're trying to keep us safe because they've used these scary words but something's not feeling right inside something's telling us that 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 doesn't feel good to hear um but maybe because there's some more to it. So the truth is evidence behind this, and this is why it's really important that you guys um, understand the evidence that that goes behind decisions like this. For example, saying that if you go past your due date, your risk of a stillbirth baby doubles. Okay, that sounds really scary. But if we know that a healthy, low-risk mom, her risk of a stillborn baby with or without an induction is, we'll say, 1%, 1 to 2%. It's, I think it's actually just 1%. Say that it's 1%, and then we've doubled that past their due date to 2%. That's a lot less scary than hearing that, like, 50% of babies that go past, right? What is our mind here, right? 50% of babies, when they when moms go past their due date, there's a chance they're going to die or be stillborn. Uh, so how the information is given, how that informed consent is given, if it's given informed consent, uh, that makes a difference. So those are things I want you to be thinking of. And I want, I hope that you're sitting here like, this isn't a super comfortable conversation right now. I hope that's where you're at. I uh, I want you to have the information so that when it does come up, you're like, I've felt this before. I remember hearing that on the podcast and how I didn't like it and how if I heard that from my provider, that was going to tell me I need to seek a different provider. That's where I want you to be right now. Here's another question. I had a cesarean birth last time, but I'd really like to have a VBAC this time. Do you support that? Notice the words that I used. Do you support that? Red flags. We'll let you try and see how it goes. <laughs> Can I tell you how much I hate this one? I hate it. I hate it so bad. What do you mean you'll let me try? Since when are you in charge of my body to let me know? I will do the work. You will sit and watch. Be there in case something goes wrong. 
Otherwise, goodbye. Okay. Obviously, I'm a little passionate about VBAC. Um, another response that's a red flag. It's actually unsafe and dangerous to attempt a VBAC and it puts you and baby at risk. I don't recommend it. And I think it's probably safest that you plan for another cesarean birth. I've absolutely heard this one. I've heard both of those actually. Uh, that's not evidence-based. In fact, if they're going off of because your uterus is going to rupture and you and baby are going to die because death is the big thing that gets thrown at us. I know this is a heavy episode. Maybe I need to go back and and flag it at the beginning to just let you know that it's going to be a little triggering maybe. Uh, but that's the truth, right? They, they use these scary words sometimes and providers that are not supportive of something like VBAC are going to say things like what you just heard. And you're going to have to decide because once you hear that, right, as a mom, you have to process that. You have to think of that. You have to decide, am I putting my baby in danger? You're the one that holds all the weight for that. And so, you, I mean, if you don't have that knowledge and information and education and know that the evidence actually says it's just as safe for a healthy, low-risk mom to have a VBAC as it is for them to have uh, a vaginal birth, you know, there's just as much risk, then hearing something like this is really jarring. Okay, here's another red flag. You can try for a VBAC, but I'm going to recommend that we induce early to give you the best chance. What? Why would we go for induction? You guys, if you've never had a cesarean, induction is something that can lead to a cesarean. So why would we say this mom had a cesarean? Let's make sure that we induce and give her a less chance of being able to have that baby vaginally. That is not an evidence-based practice. I'm sure that I could go off and there'd be a lot more of these, but I want to give you an idea of what this looks like coming from, from a provider. So things that tell you that somebody is VBAC supportive is when they say something like, absolutely, there's no reason you shouldn't do that. It's actually safer for mom and baby for you to aim for a VBAC and I'm here to support you doing that. That's what supportive looks like. If it doesn't look and sound like that, Find someone that is. It'll change your entire experience. You'll be grateful you did, 100%. Okay, next question. My 20-week anatomy scan shows my baby measuring big. What does that mean? Red flag. It means we need to move your due date up a couple of weeks. Meaning, if your due date was May 12th, now it's May 5th. Or now it's May 1st. And why does that matter? Because all of a sudden, your 40-week mark has moved two weeks earlier to a 38-week mark. And so if they're saying you're 40 weeks when you would have been 38 weeks, then when you go over that 40-week due date, they're going to start pushing induction. Particularly when you hit 41 weeks, they're going to want to push induction. Uh if you don't know that your anatomy scan at 20 weeks is not an accurate measurement of how big your baby is or how far along you are, you don't know to push back on that. You don't know that's not evidence-based. But if you do know that the best, most accurate way to measure that without, aside from knowing your menstrual cycle and ovulation dates, which are going to give you the most accurate if you absolutely know that, without knowing that, if you don't know that an ultrasound between 11 to 14 weeks is the most accurate measurement for your baby and that after that, it can actually be dangerous to move that due date, then you're going to say, oh, shoot, my baby's coming a little early. And then when you hit that 38 weeks, which you're now told is your 40 weeks, you're going to be just as nervous as that provider that baby's not here and what's going on. 
Okay, another red flag for that anatomy scan. Uh, we'll need to watch and wait and see if we should schedule an induction, right? Wait and see sounds safe. That sounds like a good plan. If the wait and see is coming from an anatomy scan showing a bigger baby and that's all you're going off of, if that's the only thing, that's not evidence-based. That's actually a red flag. Okay, here's another one. Shoulder dystocia is a problem with bigger babies, so we may need to induce, but we'll wait and watch. That's true when you have a rather large baby that shoulder dystocia could, might, possibly be an issue. First of all, big babies don't mean you're going to have shoulder dystocia. Big babies don't mean a mom can't vaginally birth her baby. Um, look it up. Women give birth to 8, 9, 10, 12 pound babies vaginally without complication. So that is not an evidence-based reason alone off of a 20-week anatomy scan to talk about shoulder dystocia, scare a mom, and talk about induction or induce. Again, I hope you're a little uncomfortable. Also, I love you guys. Keep listening. <laughs> okay, let's go into our next question. What if I don't? I feel like you guys aren't going to like me after this episode. Just hang in there. I, I am doing this because I love you. So hang in there. I wish there were people in front of me and I could gauge like how you guys are feeling off of this right now. Uh, next question. What if I don't want to get my Tdap or my COVID-19 vaccines during pregnancy? What are some red flags? Uh, here's a response. Why wouldn't you do that? It protects you and your baby. Okay. That could totally be true. That could also be that person's opinion. I have every right to what goes into my body and to make those decisions for myself and my baby. Maybe you have whatever reason. You don't need to have any specific reason, but maybe you have a very specific reason as to why you're not planning to get those. But um, that's not a supportive response. Another one, that's your choice, but it can really harm your baby. That's another one where uh, the fear-mongering Informed consent is one thing. Pushing the fear behind it is another. Telling a mom she's going to hurt herself or her baby because of a decision that she's made that she has every right to choose is not okay. That's not an evidence-based response. If he, if he or she believes that, that's fine. Um, providing information, like a, a good response, a good response would be Here's the information I have from the CDC. I'm going to give you these pamphlets so that you can read up on it. If you have any questions, let me know. It's absolutely your choice. I do recommend that moms receive them, but I, re I respect whatever you decide to choose. That is a supportive response. Um, another not supportive response. You should at least vaccinate your baby and ask others to be vaccinated. Okay, how does that feel hearing that? Like if that's your choice, Okay, like what are you going to say to that? Like that opinion or how they're feeling about it. Maybe they've got, you know, maybe they had somebody that died from not vaccinating or whatever. Like they're, you know, emotions both ways, but that's not evidence-based informed consent. And that's what we're going for here. I actually, I want to scoot back just a sec because for your, for the 20-week anatomy scan, I didn't tell you what a good response would be. So if your anatomy scan shows your baby is measuring big and you're asking what does that mean, a non-red flag response is just means your baby's measuring big. Ultrasounds can actually be off 
a pounder or so, give or take. We don't see any other reason for there to, any other issues for us to be talking about anymore. But if we see something or we have any other concerns, we'll let you know. That's an appropriate response. Sorry, I had to go back. Okay, here's another question. I'm making, or maybe more of a statement, I'm making my birth plan and I'd like to go over some of the things I have on here. <laughs> Red flag. We actually don't accept birth plans here. It just makes it harder for everyone because it never goes as planned. <laughs> and that might be true. Okay, birth is one of those random things like, we there's kind of this joke of like the birth fairy, right? Like comes in and like messes everything up. You never know what you're gonna get. That's true that things don't necessarily always go as planned, but I mean, couldn't that be said about anything? Couldn't that be said about life, your job, your home, your kids? Like, so let's not have a plan. Like there's an earthquake coming and we know we probably should have tied down this stuff and, you know, had extra water and food, but we, you know, things don't go as planned. So we didn't do that. That's the dumbest thing. Anyways, if you're here and listening, you know that there are things that you are in control of and, and absolutely you can have a plan or a map. And even if maybe you don't write it and send it to this person, like you can still, it is so smart to plan course you're going to have a plan. I hope the doctor has a plan, right? Everyone should have a plan. Uh, so that was a red flag. How about you can, but some things are non-negotiable. Well, okay. Maybe that sounds like a not super awful thing. Like, okay. Like I'll, well, at least I'll get some of these things, right? But who comes at you and says some of these things are non-negotiable as the response? Like maybe there are some things that a provider is feeling like this is how I practice this is what I do, but how are they responding to you? It makes a difference. And another one, uh, I can't really control the birth, so you can plan, but just don't count on it going that way. So kind of that like, I don't know, I don't know if cocky, prideful, you know what I'm talking about though if you've had it, where it comes back at you and you're like, like that's that's not, it's that's out of my control, but sure, like do what you want if it makes you happy. Like does that make you feel good? Does that make you feel supportive? That's not a supportive response. A supportive response would be something like, yeah, we take those all the time. Let me take a look at it. Do you have any questions? Um, make sure that the, the nurse has a copy and, and we'll make sure that we do as best as we can sticking to that plan, you know, all things provided uh, or considered. So those are those are the differences. And if you're with somebody where you're getting kind of some of this pushback and you interview someone, I see this happen all the time. It's my favorite thing. And you interview someone that all of a sudden that person is supportive. You're like, whoa, I didn't know that could exist. I assumed everybody was going to be like this. Or I didn't realize I could have this kind of support, like just leave my the office feeling not scared or anxious or heavy. It makes a huge difference. All right, just a couple more, you guys. How about, I'd like to have a doula at my birth. How do you feel about doulas? Red flags. We don't work with doulas. We've had some bad experience and we think it's probably best to not have them in the room. That makes me more concerned, not about the experience that they've had with doulas being inappropriate, but about what they're offering or recommending that doulas are giving moms a little more information on and that they're not going along with it. Uh, to give you an example, and this isn't a doula thing, but I remember talking with a childbirth educator that works in a hospital setting. She does the childbirth education in the hospital setting. She was talking about some of the different options 
that moms have, whether that's delayed cord clamping or no episiotomy or whatever that looks like. And she actually had a provider come to her and say, you need to stop teaching that. That's not how I practice. And I'm tired of women asking for it. These are real things. So if you don't have a supportive provider, they would say something like, sorry, I don't want doulas in my area. I'm going to practice how I'm going to practice. And I don't really want you pushing me back on that. Uh, Obviously, they're not going to say it like that. But that's really what the underlying cause is there. Here's another one. I think they're probably a waste of money, but it's your choice. Ooh, (laughs) someone doesn't like doulas. Uh, So that's another one. How about as long as they don't get confrontational and give opposite advice from what I'm recommending, then yeah, it's fine. Uh, Same thing. All of those tell me that this provider or these providers, depending on how they're responding, have an issue with doulas because they want to practice a certain way and doulas are um, are making it so that they have to offer things that maybe they don't feel like offering. So an appropriate response is either I love doulas, which if you guys back to the interview with Nate Fox, he's like, absolutely. Why wouldn't you want somebody there to come and help and be that extra support and whatever? Um, Or just like, yeah, doulas are fine. You know, no uh, either way about it. So that would be supportive. Like whatever you need to have here for your support. Absolutely. Okay. Here's another question. I would really like limited vaginal exams during labor. Is that okay? First of all, you don't have to ask if that is okay. But if this was the question, red flag, how am I supposed to know you're in labor? <laughs> Not joking, you guys. This stuff happens. Um, how about the fact that you're having contractions and breathing deeply and you can't talk because the contractions are so intense and you're swaying your hips and you're sweating and your stomach's hard and all the things? How about all that? There's a lot of ways to tell a woman's in labor. Okay. How about there's really nothing to worry about. The risk is low and it's actually going to give us some good information about where you're at in labor. Well, that seems like a good response, right? Or like a fair response. There's nothing to worry about. Okay. Okay. Risk is low. Okay. Helps us know where you're at in labor. That's not even real. Okay. So I shouldn't say that. Dilation is a part of the story that tells us where you're at. But you want to know what tells us even more where you're at is your attitude, your body language, um, if you're able to talk during contractions, if you're excited and anxious and, and ready to get things going, or if you are so focused that you're having to breathe and close your eyes and you need it to be quiet and you need people touching you, you need that hands-on support. That's how you know a woman's in labor. I've been at births where vaginal exams didn't happen at all. And guess what? Mom birthed her baby. She was in labor. So that, anyways, it's a red flag. Uh, Another one, unless your water is broken, we really like to be able to check every few hours to see where you're at um, and to know if we need help with progressing because moms don't always know. Another red flag. In that case, I like, and I made these responses. So I like that this provider (laughs) said, unless your water is broken. I mean, a lot of providers are, even if your water is broken, they still want to get their fingers in there and, and check things out. But I mean, you can be, we've, you've maybe heard me talk about this. You can be four centimeters for six hours and then all of a sudden jump to eight or nine centimeters or be complete in like 10 minutes. Um, so the, 
duration that that's actually really troubling if they're saying I we need to check every couple hours so we can decide what we've got to do that's not actually that's not accurate that's not going to give them enough information to make a good call for you as to whether or not they should start something like Pitocin uh, that's going to drive you nuts or or other things to augment labor that alone is not enough information plus they're super uncomfortable so what's a good response to I'd really like limited vaginal exams is yeah that's a great idea we'd we'd like to do one when you get to the hospital and check make sure that you're in labor and things but after that it's up to you um you can actually deny that one too I mean you can tell when somebody's in labor it's your body you can deny every single one that's a very common one that's one that even um a lot of moms are curious like okay yes please tell me because if I'm not four centimeters and I don't have to be here I would like to go back home like there is absolutely you can do that um but anyway so that would be like a more that would be a good response is like yeah no whatever it's your body okay question can we wait to clamp and cut the cord until it stops pulsating red flag yeah it usually only takes about a minute and then it's good that is not evidence-based it is not done pulsating after a minute (laughs) but sounds supportive right um how about waiting actually causes more jaundice and makes it less safe for baby. Okay, this is a half truth. Um, The more blood that baby gets, they actually do increase their chance of jaundice. It doesn't make it less safe for baby, and there's other benefits to baby getting all of their blood, and so that's where you're gonna have to come in with that information and be like, actually, so this, 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 and how do you feel about it now? Truth is, he should probably, or she should probably know this thing, these things. Uh, Another red flag. No, we find it doesn't really make enough of a difference, and it kind of allows us to get working on you and make sure making sure that you and baby are doing better quicker so we don't we don't clamp and and, or we don't wait to clamp and cut the cord we do it right away obviously that's going to be a red flag if that's something that's important to you um if that if that response has no if you respond back well I'd still like to do it and the response is yeah I'm sorry we just don't do that and it's really important to you, then you know that's a red flag. That's not going to work. You're going to have to get a separate provider. Um, but anyway, so and and a good response, what would that look like? Like, oh, yeah, totally. First of all, the best response is, oh, that's, that's what we practice already. You don't even have to ask for that. You don't have to put it on the birth plan, right? The other one is, um, yeah, just make sure it's on the birth plan so that we remember to do that. But we're happy to do that for you. Though that would be supportive. Um, and then there's there's a bunch of other things that we could have asked and gone through, right? Like, what if I want to delay newborn vaccinations? Or will you make me and my baby get COVID tested? When is an induction necessary? Can I eat during labor? You can just picture all the responses right now, right? <laughs> is there a birth ball or shower for laboring? Or will I need to be in bed? Will I need to be connected to monitors constantly? Is there a diet-free option for the glucose test? All the things that you can probably picture are irritating doctors everywhere right now. Sorry. What are my options if I have gestational diabetes? Red flag if they say you need to be induced early before knowing if anything definite. Um, Oh, here's a red flag, right? Do you guys remember this one from my birth story? Uh, You're going to need a C-section because women with size five and a half shoe and smaller tend to have C-sections psychotic red flags. I don't know. You guys help me out here. Okay. Here's the thing. We usually know, we know when we're with the wrong provider, right? Uh, call it intuition, 
call it common sense that we can't hear when we're standing in front of a provider and everything goes blank when they start talking about all these things. But we know, and it's kind of that like gut feeling, um, how you're being treated. You can tell if somebody's supportive or not, right? You can maybe bring that back to the conversation you're having with your mom and she's telling you how, oh, I I had to have epidurals. You're probably going to need one, right? <laughs> like, is that supportive? No. You know what supportive looks and feels like. Um, to like, right, something to, to look at, like how quick are they to dismiss or give you a half truth or laugh it off or ignore it or even some kind of like eye rolls and a shrug. This is actual, like these are, these are things that happen to mom in response. Um, how much are they listening to you in the appointment? Are they in or out? Do they remember the questions or um, are things you had talked about from the last time? Is any of that coming up? Remember this, you hire them. They work for you, but it doesn't always feel that way. There absolutely feels like there's a hierarchy and that this person has control over your body and your decisions for you and your baby. If you're feeling that, do yourself a favor and get a new provider. Interview somebody else, even just one other provider and see how you feel and then do it again. It's weird and uncomfortable maybe at the beginning, but I promise you are never going to regret it because when you find that supportive provider, you'll be like, oh my gosh, I wish I, I was never with this other provider or I'm so glad I did this. You're never going to regret finding somebody that's going to support you. Um, I will say there there are some situations where moms get stuck with providers, right? Kind of how we talked about um, maybe you've, you are at the tail end of your pregnancy and you're looking for a different provider, but maybe they don't have time or slots or whatever the case. That can be a little tricky. Maybe your insurance only takes, you're in like a smaller area and your insurance only takes these, you know, two practices or this one provider. Maybe there's a reason. Um, it doesn't mean that you're going to have an awful experience, but I think it's really important that you have those conversations, figure out what the red flags are so that you can go back and decide, this is what I'm going to have to fight for, what I really what is very important to me that I'm willing to fight for. These are some things that I can kind of let go so that my whole pregnancy and labor experience isn't a fight. Um, but then to educating and um, getting your partner on board and doula or whoever you have with you to make sure that you have a couple people there that can help you voice what matters to you and advocate for yourself. That's what's going to matter if you end up in that situation. So I want to leave you with just some like quick tips, good advice for for making sure that you you get a good provider, right? So I want you to research your providers early. This is something where you ask around friends, family, whatever birth group you might be a part of, if there are local doulas or childbirth educators and you know what kind of birth you're looking for, who are those best people? Do your research early because it's easier to find one, you know, initially than having to change. It's always going to be easier. I would say trust your gut. Don't be scared to say no or to disagree it's your birth it's your body you have the opportunity and ability to do that uh know that you have options and know what they are right that's like i said take a good birth course uh and then reach out when you have questions you guys i'm here like a lot of these questions came from you guys asking them or situations that you ended up in that weren't so great I'm taking that because I know that you guys are, are running up against these issues. I know that. So if you have questions that are specific to your situation, shoot me a DM on Instagram. It's at my essential birth or send me an email. Hello at my essential birth. Um, and then join me in the birth course. I'd love to have you. 
That's it for this week, but make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you get notifications first as I drop new episode every week. And don't forget to head over to myessentialbirth.com for all of the free downloads mentioned here and to join the birth course and community serving pregnant moms just like you. If you enjoyed this and other episodes, I would love it if you would take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I read every single one and include one at the beginning of each episode. See you next week.